I've been, uh, if you've been with us a while, we, we walked through a few of the books of the Bible. We walked through Philippians. We went through 1 John. I've been praying about what to do next, and I think we're going to try to go through the Gospel of Luke. Now, y'all going to have to... You're going to have to be with me now if we go through Luke, because it's going to be a little bit longer than Philippians and 1 John. And so it's, it's only 24 chapters, but each chapter has like 60 verses in it, 45, 60 verses in it. So we'll have to, uh, we'll have to get together and, and sure enough do that. So let's pray, and uh, we're going to ask the Lord. Today's going to be a little different for us, um, because really Luke introduces his book, his gospel, uh, in the first four verses, and so we're going to do kind of an introduction to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to walk through it, hopefully verse by verse, but if the Lord lays something on us, um, a different message, we're going we're gonna to take time off and do that, but that's what we plan to do anyway. So let's do that. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together and bless us as we read His Word. Father, we thank You today. We ask that You would give us, uh, give us Your aid today as we read Your Word, as we try to... Uh, uh, explain your word, God, as we just uh, allow that word to uh, do its work in our hearts, Father. We pray that the, your spirit would just come and that it would take this word and that it would, um, it would show us, Father, that uh, uh, who we are in you and it would show us uh, who you are, God, in redeeming our souls and uh, the creator of all. And we just, God, ask that you would um, be with us and give us hearts to worship you today as we come into your house, God, and we get to, uh, we get to fellowship with one another and we get to enjoy the unity of, of being together in you. Lord, we ask that you would be with those that are hurting, be with those that need you today, Father, and give them a word today from your word. And we just ask that you would uh, help us to do your will. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, Luke's going to be a little longer. It's kind of awkward actually starting Luke today because I got to thinking this morning, that's going to put us like around Easter time, it's going to put us pretty close to the Christmas story. So when people come for Easter, you can just wish them Merry Christmas because some of them you may not see again until Christmas anyway. But uh, So it, it's going to put us, it's gonna put us doing, doing around the Christmas story around Easter, but that, that'll be okay. Um, Luke is... Um, Luke is Gentile. He's probably the only Gentile author of the New Testament. He's a doctor. You probably know all these. All these. He's a physician. Uh, he was a companion of Paul. And so he was a traveling companion with Paul. And Luke wrote Luke and Acts. And really those two books go together, Luke and Acts. And so if you, if you read them together, it's almost like Luke is volume one and Acts is volume two. It talks, Luke starts way before the birth of Christ, even before <clears throat> the birth of John the Baptist. And he, and he talks about all the events that happened leading up to the birth of Christ and the ministry of Christ, the witness of Christ, the miracles, the, the things that God did on, on earth and sending his son and doing all those things and the, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And then in Acts, he pushes off into the church, moving out into the world and spreading the gospel message and lives changed. And it ends up the very end of book, the book of Acts says the gospel goes forth unhindered. And of course, the story is continuing today. And so the, the gospel of Luke is it, it's um, it, it's really, really an amazing it's an amazing gospel. All the gospels are amazing. But this one is it's uh, it's very historical. It's very matter of fact. It's very uh, Luke doesn't uh, spare any doesn't spare any uh, uh, time or anything like that to uh, make sure <clears throat> that we have the actual events that are going on. And he gives us really the purpose of his writing. I'm just going to read the first four verses and we're going to walk through those those four verses today. <clears throat> and that's probably 
All we're going to get to this morning, and we'll start with that with the we'll start with the the storyline next week when we uh, come back into the house of the Lord, if the Lord allows, if it be His will. And so He says, "For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word." Luke says. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all these things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that's who he's writing to, the guy's name, Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. And so it's, a, it's really, if you notice, that's one big long sentence. Luke wouldn't, wouldn't do well in English class because that's one big run-on sentence. But it's, a, it's really a, how historians did their thing back in the first century. They introduced their work by saying, you know, many have taken to uh, uh, write about this. Many have taken to uh, put this down in order. So it seemed good to me because we've had eyewitnesses. We've had the ministers of the word to come and to, and to tell us all these things. And Luke himself, I already told you, was a companion of Paul. He was an eyewitness to the travels of Paul and the gospel moving forward into the world. And he was there with the apostles. He had access to them. And so he says, it seems to me, it, it would seem good to me to go ahead and lay out in order for you uh, so you can have certainty. And that's probably the theme of what we're going to see today. The reason why this gospel's here is for you to have certainty, certainty about a whole lot of things. If you notice when we read those verses, Luke isn't really haphazard about, you know what, I'm just going to sit down and we're going to write down all these things. We're going to write down, you know, what I remember and, and, and all the things that happened. And, and the best that I can recall, we're going to write those things down. That's not how he's doing his work here. He's investigating his gospel. He is, he is researching. He's, he's talking to the people that were there. You know, that it says many have taken in hand in that first verse to lay out what happened. You know who they are. They're the apostles. They're Matthew and Mark and they're Peter and Paul and James and and all those writers of the New Testament. Many people set out to write those things and to lay out the case of what Christ did for you and for me and to have that as a a record, so to speak, for all the generations, 2,000 years worth. And if the world keeps spinning for another 3,000 years, if the Lord tarries and doesn't come that long, It's going to be as a record for them as well. It's going to be the infallible, inerrant word of God. It's going to last forever. He said, my word won't pass away. Even if heaven and earth passes away, the word is going to is going to remain. It's going to remain faithful. It's going to remain true. So he's not really haphazard about doing these things. He is researching. He is talking to eyewitnesses. He is making sure that he lays out an orderly account of all these things. These eyewitnesses uh, have handed these things down. It's, uh, it's strange for us 2,000 years later, but think about it for a moment. Luke wrote down these things. The gospel writers, all of the gospel writers, all of the New Testament authors, they wrote down these things, but they wrote them down in a time when the eyewitnesses who saw the events, the people who were fed, you know, the, the five loaves and the two fish, the people who saw the resurrection themselves, they were still alive at the time that these were written. So if 
if Paul, if Paul's going to quote Luke over in 2 Timothy, and so these things he knew about, and if Luke just wrote some stuff down, if he, you know, I, I think this guy wrote, you know, uh, he did this, and these, this is how the miracles happen. If Luke just haphazardly wrote these things, the people alive then could go investigate because these guys were still alive. The eyewitnesses that saw these events were still alive. He's writing within a generation of when these things happened. So they could go and they could ask the centurion, hey, did Jesus really raise your child from the dead? They could go and ask the people that were there, did Jesus really feed all of 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? They could go and ask. These things were real. They're really happen. Sometimes we take this word of God. Sometimes we take the stories that are contained within the lessons that they teach us. And, you know, we think that's some kind of a, a mystical, epic uh, poetry kind of stuff way back then that's supposed to teach us a lesson, teach us a moral. No, these things really happened. These things were real. This is a history of what happened in the first century in Galilee when there was a man, God and man, born of a virgin. His name was Christ and he did miracles, lived perfectly according to the law, died on a cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. These things are historical realities. And Luke is showing, he's going to go through his entire gospel, telling us in order what happened. And it's important for us to know these things were public. This didn't happen in a corner somewhere. This didn't happen secretly somewhere. These are, Luke is going to, he's going to talk about all kinds of things from Luke to Acts in all kinds of different countries, all kinds of different leaders. He's going to name them by name. He's going to name all kinds of things throughout his gospel and uh, the book of Acts that we can go back and check. The people at that time when he wrote this could go back and check and see that these things are true. Truth is always verifiable. He can go back and you can test it. And that's something that we have as believers in Christ and believers of the truth that many other religions don't have. You know, if you think if just right off the top of my head, you know, if you, you go and you talk to the guys in the white shirts with the ties that come to your house on bicycles, the Mormon guys, you know, they, they, that whole deal started from a guy named Joseph Smith that had a vision out in the woods in upstate New York about an angel that came and told him something that he should be doing and giving him golden plates for him to translate the Book of Mormon. And then what happened when he did that? According to him, the angel took the plates back up into heaven. We can't verify that. You just have to take, you, you either believe that he's telling the truth or you believe he's telling a lie. Yeah, the same way with Islam. Muhammad got Gabriel. I don't, don't mean to be teaching y'all about this kind of stuff, but he got a vision from Gabriel in what he said was Gabriel in a cave somewhere that dictated to him over 20 years time the Koran. And you just have to trust that it's true. That is not the Christian faith. Our faith is built on facts. It's built on history. It's built on truth. And that truth is that there were thousands that saw him. It wasn't done in a cave somewhere. It wasn't done in a corner somewhere. Jesus was actually crucified in real life, in real, in the public eye. He was crucified where all Jerusalem knew it, where all of Galilee knew it, where there were Roman historians writing about it over 500 miles away. It was real and it really happened. And that should give you and I assurance today. It should give us certainty. That's the word that Luke uses, that our faith is not one that's built on myths. It's not one that's built on, well, we think this is what happened. It's built on facts. Every time someone has investigated 
the, the veracity of Scripture, the historicity of Scripture, whether it's true, whether it can be proven archaeologically, whether it can be tr- uh, proven historically, they've always come to the conclusion that it is a faith based in facts. It's a faith based in truth. And even bigger than that, I know I'm presenting that as a, a historical reality, but even bigger than that, it is absolutely true because the word of God says it's absolutely true. And he said, my word is not going to pass away. So the, this is this is something that is it's fact based. It's not a blind faith that we just jump off into. Luke says, you know what? I have set out to give you an orderly account. It, it seemed good to me uh, having a perfect understanding of all these things from the very first to write thee in order. Most excellent Theophilus. I'm I'm writing you. Theophilus is a guy. We don't really know who he is. The word Theophilus means God lover. So it's written to you and I. It's written to all of us who who love God. But Luke is writing facts and he knows the difference between a factual historical story and just some kind of fanciful poem, some kind of fanciful story that we can have good moral lessons from. He is writing facts. He is writing a historical narrative. There was a real man. His name was Jesus Christ. He was born from a virgin. He really died. He was really buried and he really in real life rose from the grave. Therefore, you and I can have certainty. That's what he says in verse four, that thou mightest know the certainty of these things. You and I can have certainty that this was absolutely fact. This actually happened. And because Jesus, just like the word says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, that means you and I who trust in him, who repented of our sin and believe in Christ, we will be raised from the dead. It's a fact. Today, that certainty is something that you and I need. We need it because there's going to come a day. It may not be today, may not be tomorrow, may not be next year. There's going to come a day where the doctor walks into your room and says, you know what? There's nothing else we can do. There's going to come a day when you're facing pretty much your last week on earth, your last months, your last days on earth. There's going to come a day when you are going to need this certainty. So many times we we uh, talk to people. You know, I talk to people at the hospital that uh, there are some that uh, face death. They face it with certainty. They face it with joy. They face it knowing where they're going. They face it knowing that Jesus loves them and knowing that he has prepared a place for them. He said, if I go away, I'm going to return and come and get you. And where I am there, you will be also. There are so many people that face this this thing called death, this enemy that's already been defeated called death with joy and peace. But then again, there are so many that face it with fear. They face it not knowing, uh, scared of what's going to happen, not understanding what's next. And that's because they don't have this certainty that the word of God gives us. The word of God gives us this certainty that if you have been born again, if you have trusted in Christ, you are one of his sheep. You are one of his people and nothing in heaven and earth can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You and I need that certainty. So it's not like I'm just coming to give you a history lesson. That's not going to do you any good whatsoever. 
I could give you all the facts and figures. I could give you all the, the history lesson about, about what Luke said and all those things. And that's a good thing. We need to do that. We need to understand that our faith is based in facts. It's not based in myths. It's not based in things that didn't happen. It's based in real life. But just understanding the facts, understanding the history is not going to help you. You have to trust in this man. You have to trust in this who this one who was God and man who came and died for your sins. You have to put your faith in him. And but this faith that we trust in him, it's not just a blind faith. It's a faith that is based in the reality of what God says to us in his word. This word is alive. And it's for us. God wrote it for us. He used these men, these New Testament authors to write his word and his word is given to us uh, for instruction and for reproof and for correction and all of these things. And we can have certainty that thou mightest know the certainty of those things. We can be certain in those things. Um, Luke, unlike I told you about those other guys, um, If you've ever read something like we talked a moment ago about the Book of Mormon and the Mormons and all that, if you've ever read that, you can't find any of the places that are in that book. They're they're just fanciful, made-up places. But Luke here, in the Gospel of Luke and in Acts, the second volume, Luke wrote Acts and the Gospel of Luke. There He lists 32, I wrote it down, 32 countries. He lists 32 countries. He lists 54 different cities. And he lists nine islands along with the names of all the leaders that were in this region or that region and their titles, which changed from region to region. Some of them were politarchs and tetriarchs and temple wardens and all those kind of things. Luke was very careful, very historical about all the things that he wrote. He wanted you to know that these things are real. These things really happened uh, up until the last uh, 100 years. People doubted whether Luke was a real historian, whether he was telling you facts, whether, the, whether these things were true or he was just making it up on the fly. A lot of people have always doubted the reality of God's infallible word. But over the, over the last 100 years, they found out all this archaeological information. They've gone and checked these different countries and found this deal. And it has been proven over and over and over and over again that Luke knew exactly what he was talking about, that the things that he writes in his gospel are absolutely true. They're absolutely factual and they can be proven to be factual, which goes along with us understanding that this is the very word of God. This is the very scripture that God has given for us. Are you awake? Say amen. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. So Luke, he says, look, many have many have taken in hand, verse one, to set forth an order, a declaration, of those things which most surely believed among us. These are not just for us to know what happened. It's not just a history lesson. These are things that are believed among us. These things are things that you must hold to be true. As we go through this gospel, as we go through the gospel of Luke and we look at the things he's going to show you, Jesus He's going to show you Jesus at his birth. He's going to show you the prophecies fulfilled in John the Baptist. And he's going to show you the ministry of Jesus as he goes around healing and teaching and the parables that he gives. He's going to show you the life.
life and the ministry of Christ, he's going to show you the death of Jesus on the cross, the suffering of the Messiah, the son of God who suffered on your behalf. And he's going to show you the resurrection. These are not things that are just history lessons. I mean, it's good. You need to know that it actually happened. You need to know that it's real. But these things, Luke says, are believed among us. They are fulfilled among us. They actually happened and they happened because God fulfilled the promises that he made all the way back in Genesis and the Old Testament about I will send to you a deliverer. I will bring salvation and redemption to you. He told them over and over again in the Old Testament. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that redemption. He is the fulfillment of that salvation. So understand, Luke is giving us real history, but it's not just history. It's things that are believed among us. He's saying, if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you believe these things. What I'm about to tell you, and Luke goes on into his gospel talking about who Jesus is. This is what we believe. And it is the infallible, inerrant word of God. Sometimes people ask me the question, You know, if Luke researched these things and like it said in verse two and three, if he talked to eyewitnesses and if he got all his story and compiled it like a researcher would do when he was writing this, how can you say that this is the inspired word of God, which it most certainly is? And the reason is the doctrine of inspiration, that this is God's inerrant word. This is God's word to us and it's infallible and it's actually God's word, not just the word of Luke. That uh, that doctrine show is shown to us in Second Peter. Um, I'm going to say Second Peter one, verse 20 and 21. It said men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God didn't just put the New Testament writers in a trance and dictate to him the words, you know, and then they woke up and they said, wow, look, here's a whole book that I don't know how this got here. God used these men. He says he, the Holy Spirit carried them along and they wrote the actual words that God wanted them to write down. Perfect infallible, inerrant, inspired. They wrote the words of God. If you want to turn with me just for a second, I want to show you that. I feel like I need to show that to you in, uh, in first Timothy, second Timothy, verse three sixteen. That's an easy one to remember. It says in that verse, it says all scripture, you know, the verse, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. How much of scripture is given by inspiration of God? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration means God breathe. If you, uh, if you're talking like right now, I'm talking kind of loud. I'm gonna try to quiet down. If you're talking to somebody, put your hand, put your hand in front of your mouth and just start talking. And you, Hannah's doing it. <laughs> All your, none of y'all else are doing it. Put your hand in front of your mouth when you're talking you can feel the breath coming out of your mouth. You know, sometimes you need a tic-tac when you're talking to folks. Sometimes I do. Anyway, 
And you can feel the breath coming out of your mouth. when That's what it says. It's God breathed. It is inspired by God himself. The scripture is God speaking to us. It's God himself. It is, it's his very word. Just like if you were talking to somebody, you can feel that breath coming out of your mouth. The scripture is God breathed. It is inspired of God. He carried these men along to write exactly what he, what he would have his word to say. And that word is quick and it's powerful today for you, just like it was to the first guy who wrote it or to the first guy who read it in the very first century. So we take this word of God as what it is, the inspired word of God today, right now, March the 11th, 12th, the March the 12th, 2017, this word of God, Perfect, infallible, inerrant is still profitable for doctrine. It's still profitable to reprove us. It's still profitable for correction and instruction in righteousness. But you may ask the question, how do you know that Luke is scripture? Well, first of all, because it's in this Bible. But second of all, the Bible tells us that Luke is in scripture. Flip over two pages to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. And then that's the last time we're going to flip, I promise. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, it says, For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. I'm not going to go into exactly what was going on right there, but that is two quotes. In this Bible, in, in this Bible that I'm looking at, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn is all in capital letters. That means that it's a quote from the Old Testament. It's Deuteronomy 25, 7, if you want to go look it up. Don't do it now. And the second is in red writing. Is it in red writing in yours? That is because it's a quote from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. So right here, Paul is telling Timothy, the scripture saith, and he quotes one verse from Deuteronomy, and he quotes one verse from Luke. By the time Paul wrote 1 Timothy, Luke was already considered as scripture. It was scripture when it was written, but understand that the Bible itself is telling us that the gospel of Luke is scripture. We already know, of course, I can make a case that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the books that we have in this Bible is scripture, but I needed you to see that as we look at this, this gospel of Luke. This is historical. It's real. You can go and find the places, but it's not just meant to give you the history. You can't approach the book of Luke like this. You can't approach the gospel and say, well, I'm going to learn everything about Jesus's life and I'm going to learn what cities they went in. I'm going to learn. That's fine. And I'm with you. I love doing that. It's not made for that, though, just for that. It's made so that you will be certain of who this Jesus is and that you will believe on him. And by believing on him, you will have life in his name. It is meant to give you life through Christ. It's meant so that you would have certainty of who this Jesus is. And you need to know that today, even today, certainty about Jesus is something that you and I have to have because there's a lot of fake Jesuses out there. I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of people who saying, you know, I'm trusting in Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but their Jesus is kind of a Jesus of their own mind. They call it Jesus. You know, they've got, you just name a few. You got, you got the butler Jesus, right? He's just there to do what I need done. 
And if I don't need anything, I'm just going to set him on the shelf and I'm not going to worry about it too much. But if something happens where I need him, I'm going to pull him on out of the closet and I'm going to let him get going to doing what I need done. And then when they, when my needs are met and everything's satisfied, everything's comfortable, I'm going to put him right back in the closet and I'm going to let him go. And then I'm going to go about my life until I need to pull him out again. That's the butler Jesus. That's what I call him anyway. You got the, you got the life coach Jesus, right? He's just there to say, go on, boy, you got it. You know, it don't matter if you're living in sin. It don't matter if you're doing what Bible says is uh, an abomination or something. You just go on. It's okay. I'm here to I'm here to pat you on the back and say everything's fine. It's like granddaddy. You know, granddaddy never disciplines you. My granddaddy never disciplined me. That's the parents' job. Granddaddy's their job is there, you know, to say with Jacob and my kids, my, my father's there to say, oh, it's okay, boy, don't worry about it. Because he knows I'm the one that's got to deal with it. That God, Jesus, not a granddaddy Jesus. He's one that disciplines and chastises and rebukes. And when his children fall into sin, that he comes and he shepherds them always with a loving hand, always with a gentle rod. But he definitely disciplines his children. And so we got that Jesus who's a, just a life coach. You know, he's an affirmer. He'll affirm you right wherever you're at and say, you know what? You're doing fine. Don't listen to all them. They're all good. You got the homeboy, Jesus, the, the buddy, you know, that's, that's just there to kind of walk through life with me. And he really doesn't have any any. Any, uh, instructions for me. He doesn't have any commands for me to follow. He's just my bud and he's here to walk with me and just keep me company and make sure I'm happy and all those. It's a lot of, I mean, we could go on and on and on and on about all the things that people think Jesus is. Luke is writing his text here, the gospel of Luke, and God is inspiring this gospel so that you will have certainty. Put verse four back up there, uh, Sarah Beth, Luke chapter one, verse four, so that you will know the certainty of these things. Understand that you have to have a relationship with the actual Jesus, not the one that we make up in our own mind. And we're good at making one up. We're good at making up the one that looks just like us and acts just like us and wants, wants us to be doing the things that we like to be doing. We're good at making up a Jesus and say, well, Jesus probably doesn't mind that at all. We have to have the actual, the real historical Jesus who lived and died on a cross and rose again because only that Jesus will save you. Only that Jesus will be your advocate before the Father. Only that Jesus is a propitiation for our sins. Only the real Jesus is the one who will grow you in the faith. He is the one who will strengthen you to walk through this life in his name and to follow his will and to be pleasing to God. Only the real Jesus, the actual God man, the one who is seated at the right hand of the father interceding for you and I, only that Jesus, only that one will present you blameless and clean before the father. The one that someone makes up in their mind it's like I could say, boy, I wish I had a Coke can. That usually works good, a Coke can. I could say, this microphone here is my God. And you would all look at me like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's my God. And I'm going to pray to the microphone. It works better with a Coke can. Well, what's your microphone's name? Well, my microphone, its name's Jesus. This is, this is Jesus. So if you didn't know anything about the microphone, I could say, pray, we all love Jesus, right? And y'all would go, amen. 
I said, well, Jesus has been good to me today. Amen. Praise God. Y'all would all agree with me. We'd, we'd be raising hands. We'd be just hallelujah shouting. And then when you realize this is what I'm talking about, this is my Jesus, you'd be like, huh? That's not the, that's not the Jesus I'm talking about. Understand that the Jesus that people make up in their mind that he's okay with your sin. He's okay with whatever it is you want to do. He's okay that you don't worship him. He is okay that you don't fellowship with his people. He's okay that, you know, it's all good. It's all about just you and Jesus. When you say that like that, you might as well be worshiping a microphone. Might as well be worshiping something you made up in your mind and you call him Jesus. Because it's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus desires that you worship God. He desires, he commanded, he said, he said, uh, God seeks those who worship him in spirit and truth. That's what the real Jesus said that. Uh, Jesus also said he inspired in Hebrews. He said that you would not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The real Jesus has written his word for us. He has given us what he desires and what he wants from us. He has given us his promises of salvation and redemption. And he's given us the promise that he will be working in us to grow us and to conform us to the image of his son. He has given us his word, these real promises. And so it's important for us to understand Luke is telling this. I am writing these so that you will know the certainty of these things. There is a certainty that you can have that I am following the real Jesus. I'm not afraid that my Jesus is just something that I made up in my mind or something that I'm kind of tailoring to to that I want. I'm not I'm not afraid that it's something that I'm just thinking might be, you know, good for me. I'm not afraid when it comes time to die. And I understand that, you know, Jesus is going to be there. He's going to stand in as my advocate. He's going to stand as my propitiation. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Why am I so certain? Why can you, how can you be so certain that your Jesus is the real Jesus, the one who will save you? Because he is written about in this word. I don't have to think about, I, I, it's good to commune with God and we, we pray and God hears our prayers and he answers our prayers and he speaks to us. But I don't know about you, but my heart will tell me all kind of dumb things. My mind will tell me all kind of dumb things. The only bedrock that I have to make sure that my mind's not playing tricks on me or that my thoughts are kind of jacked up or that something something I'm thinking is absolutely wrong is the infallible, inerrant word of God that is written for us eternally in the heavens, but also given to us that will be here even after heaven and earth passes away. We will have the certainty of knowing that the Jesus that we serve is the real Jesus because he is written in this scripture. He is he is talked about all through the gospel of Luke, all through the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all through the letters of Paul, all through the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about who he is. It's all about what he has come to do. And we can have certainty knowing that this Jesus really did die on the cross. I mean, in real history, it was a fact. It happened. He really did die for the sins of the world. He really did 
raised from the dead after three days. He really did appear to his disciples. It was real. It actually happened. And that Jesus, the real Jesus, the one who we can be certain about, he will accept you. He will redeem you. He will change your heart from the stony heart that we have from Adam to the heart of flesh that loves God and desires God and wants to wants to follow after God. Are you perfect? No, we're not talking about that, but he will change you. He will conform you to his image and he will keep his promise that says the work that I begin in you, I will continue. Until the day of the Lord, until the day of the Lord, he will do what he has promised. The real Jesus is a real promise, promise keeper. He is real today. Listen, as we go through the gospel of Luke, the gospel of Matthew, those we are not talking about who Jesus was. We're talking about who Jesus is today. Today he is alive. He is He is alive as both God and man. He stands before the throne of the Father or sits at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes for us and we can know him. We are going to study as we go through Luke. We're going to study what Christians believe. We're going to study the truth about what Christians believe. We're going to study the truth about what actually happened in the life, in the birth, in the life of Jesus, in the death of Jesus, the resurrection But we need to make sure before we get any farther, Luke gives us these first four verses. That's kind of like Luke's little introduction. He says, I'm writing these things so that you might know the certainty of all that Jesus said and did. All that Jesus is. That you might know the real Jesus. God's fulfillment. Jesus, this story, you probably know. I could walk through and say, what about this story? What about this parable? What about this section? What about this? And you probably know all the things that are contained in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You probably know the stories. But these things were written as fulfillments of God's promise all the way back in the very beginning. In Genesis 3, he told the serpent, he said, I'm going, God said, I'm going to send a seed of the woman and she's going to crush your head and you're going to bruise, you're going to bruise his heel. That was a foretelling, a promise of this one who would come, who did come in flesh and died on the cross, destroying the works of Satan and redeeming the nations from under the power of Satan by his, by his blood, by his sacrifice. And so as we look at these things, you need to understand the story that we're seeing is rooted in history. We can be certain of the real Jesus, but we can also be certain of the gospel in the fact that God will save you. God will redeem you. He's promised it and we can have certainty in it. And we also can have certainty in the fact that God is in control of history, of all of history. When we start, as we move into verse 5, hopefully, if the Lord doesn't change next week, if he doesn't change our mind, we're going to start not before the birth of Jesus. We're going to start before the birth of John the Baptist. That's where Luke goes in, in verse five. He starts talking about John the Baptist's parents. 
And he goes from John the Baptist's parents all the way through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, all the way through the birth of the church at Pentecost through Acts, all the way through the, the spread of the church across the, across the known world. He goes from the very, very beginning, before the beginning, all the way until, until the end of that story. But the story is continuing today. The gospel is still moving forward today. The kingdom is still advancing today. And you and I have a part in that. You are called today by the real Jesus to go and make disciples, teaching them everything that I've commanded. That's what Jesus said. And as we do that, we become part of this plan that God has given for us to be part of the kingdom, to be part of the the hands and the feet that move this kingdom forward. And that is working in the world. And so we can be certain that God is in control of history. He's going to orchestrate the events of John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth's life, so that John comes at the perfect time. We're going to see it as, as we go through it. And then John comes at the perfect time, begins his ministry at the perfect time. Jesus comes in the fullness of times, right when God has called him to come, right when the Father called him to come. And he does his ministry. And over and over again through the gospel, Jesus is going to tell the people, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Until finally, he says, he sets his face to go to Jerusalem, the time has come and he goes and he sacrifices himself on a cross. And then if you keep on reading through Acts, you can see that God is in control of all of these things as his kingdom moves forward. And that should give you certainty today. It should give you assurance and it should give you comfort today knowing that God is still in control. He's in control of all the things that are happening in your life. He's in the control of all the things that you're going through, all the sufferings that you're having, all the things that are happening. He has made provision for you. He's not left you in the midst of this fallen world without a comforter. He hasn't left you in the midst of your situation without a way of escape. He hasn't left us. He is still in control. We're going to see that as we walk through these things. This was written so that you can have certainty. That you might know the certainty of these things. But in order to have the certainty, you have to have the real Jesus. You have to have the true Jesus. You can't go serving the microphone, which is a dumb example, I know, but you understand what I mean. You can't just make up a Jesus in your mind and say, well, that's the Jesus I serve. He's not real. He will be of no benefit to you the day that you face the judgment of the Father. Only the true Jesus will do that. And the true Jesus says that if you come to me, all of you who are burdened, who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If you trust in me, if you give your life to me, if you repent of your sin and you believe on me, I'll save you. I'll change you. And I will make you a brand new creature. The old will be passed away and the new and all things will become new and you will be alive forevermore. God, Jesus will present you holy and blameless before the Father. If you don't know the true Jesus, the real Jesus, the only Jesus, really, if you don't know him today, put your faith in him, trust in him. Open this infallible word of God and read it. Read about this Jesus who died for you, 
who died on the cross for you and was risen from the dead so that you too can be raised from the dead. Your mortal body will put on immortality. If you don't know him today, he's calling you to come and to to be part of his kingdom, to be adopted into his family. Trust in him today. Father, we love you. We thank you today for your word. We thank you for your mercies.